Hey, my name is Jensen, one of the servant leaders here at Ethos. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. We hope you can lean in and enjoy this message. I want to talk from a really exciting topic entitled, entitled, here it is. Here it is. You ready for this? Ready? A theology of singleness. Yeah, it's exciting. It's good stuff. Don't be, don't be alarmed by that word theology. It just means a study of God. We, we want to identify, like, what, is, what does God have to say about being single? If we're going to have a relationship on singleness, we're tar- or, or rather a series on relationships, we've we got to identify a topic that oftentimes within church kind of just doesn't really get addressed. But the reality is there's a lot of single people, not just in our church, but though we do have a lot of singles in our, in our church, but generally speaking, just within the capital C church, capital C church at large. And I, I want to identify, like, what does God have to say during this season or chapter of your life of being single? You ever, you ever notice that, that people are obsessed with what's next? You ever seen this? Like, when you're in high school, what does everybody ask? Where, where are you going to college? You, you get into college, and you're, you're about to graduate, and people say, what, what are you going to do for a job? You, you work a job for a while, you start to get a paycheck, and then people say, when are you going to start dating? You start dating, and after a bit, people say, when are you going to... Get married. You get married, and everybody says, when are you going to? You have one kid. Everybody says, when are you going to have two kids? Yeah, like, you have two kids. And everybody asks, when are you going to have? And Courtney and I just said, we're done. Two is our limit. We cannot have any more. Everybody with more than two kids, you're our heroes. Like, we, we don't know how you do it. You're, you're incredible people. And, but we, we are. We're, we're kind of just obsessed with, with what's next. And you, you know this. You, all of us kind of kind of identify this, even intrinsically. We often forget it, but the truth is that when, you, when you're so focused on what's next, it's really easy to miss out on what's now. It's really easy to miss out on the beauty of the, of the season that we're currently in. I used to have this neighbor who took immaculate care of his lawn. Anybody in here just love your grass? You, you know what I'm saying? Like, you just, you love it. Like, it's like, it's your thing. And, and, and he took such great care of his lawn. I, I said to him one time, Tony, said, your grass always looks so much greener than mine. He said, well, Jordan, that's because I spent a lot more money and a lot more time on it. I said, that's true, Tony, you do. And, 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 and of course, we know this too, right? The grass, it, has, it actually isn't only greener on the other side. It's, it's only greener where we choose to water it, like where we choose to, where we choose to take, take care of it. And it's really easy, right? Like we, we all do this, regardless of what season we are in. We all tend to envy, maybe even idolize or idealize someone else's season, the, another season that somebody else is in, the season that you wish you were in. And I, and I think that the church, as it relates to the season of singleness, I think the church, I think there's some things that we, that we could do better. And I just want us, in the spirit of this series, in the spirit of saying healthy relationships begin with me, I want us as a community here at Ethos to say, hey, we can, we can do better. And, and, we're, and we're going we're going to do better as it relates to the way in which we identify, encourage, and, and really just celebrate the season of, of singleness. There's a really great book by, by Jennifer Marshall. The book is titled Now and Not Yet. It's actually written to singles, and it's, it's pretty brilliant. But she says at the beginning of the book, she, she writes, quote, Christians need to wrestle with and apply faith to singleness in the church today. I believe this is true. It's a topic that oftentimes kind of just gets brushed off to the side. I don't think we've done a good job as a, as a church of giving answers, like robust answers to the questions that singles have. I think that married couples, I don't think we've done a good job of, of being transparent about the struggle that exists 
within marriages as well. And as a result, we've kind of idolized marriages. We haven't provided a rich community where singles are celebrated equal to marriages as well. Because there's an assumption. And we all kind of play into this assumption a bit. The assumption is that you're going to grow older, then you're going to grow in love, then you're going to get married, then you're going to have kids. But when that is delayed, or maybe even denied, then we become a bit discouraged. And maybe at worst, we begin to identify as incompetent, or as I speak to a lot of singles who grow older in life, and they maybe even came out of some difficult relationships, they begin to identify as, as, un, as unlovable. And, and I, I get to talk with a lot of people. I think it's one of, the, one of the greatest joys of my life, honestly, is to get to, like, I just love hearing people's stories and what God's doing and the way in which God has led you in, in your life. And, and I talk to a lot of single people, and it's so interesting because most singles will say something to the effect, like, I cannot wait until I'm married. But then I'll talk to a lot of married people, and in confidence, they'll share, man, I just wish I were still single. And it's funny, like there's this, there's this dichotomy, there's this envy of sorts of the season that we're not, the season that we're not, that we're not in. And hear me, listen, pursuing marriage is a good thing, but it's not the only good thing. And I think that's where we need to make an adjustment. Several years ago now, I was actually, actually doing a wedding, and, and in the latter part of my ceremony, as I was officiating this, this wedding, there's a part where I used to say, I used to say, I don't say it anymore, I used to say that marriage was designed by God to bring the ultimate of fulfillment and satisfaction to your life. And literally, I remember whose wedding I was officiating in that moment, and, and in, in that exact second when I was saying that, I literally felt like the Spirit of God was speaking to me, challenging and convicting me, and he's saying, that's not true. And I was like, uh, am I lying to this couple right now? Like, yeah, you are. Like, like, marriage is designed by God to bring the ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction. And I began to realize that's, that's, that's not true. Because a spouse can't do for us what only Jesus can do for us. Which is why we need to learn to celebrate both singleness as equal to, as equal to marriage. Now, before we go any further... Let me just give a little bit of context to everything I'm about to say. My, my wife and I, Courtney and I, we, we married when we were young. We were both 22 years old. And so I didn't go through a long season of singleness. And so I, I can't fully relate with, which I can't fully relate with being single for a long period of time. Like that's, that's not my experience. And so I don't share with you from experience this morning. I share with you, I just, I just, that's why I call it theology of singleness. I just want to share with you from the authority of God's word, which, by the way, is way better than, than my experience. But I feel like it's, I have to just mention from the top, because a lot of times I know as singles, and I talk to some of my single friends, they say, when I hear somebody speak to and about singleness, but they got married young, I immediately tune them out because I think, you can't relate with what I'm going through. And, and so I'm not trying to relate, I'm not trying to be trite about this topic, I just want to share from what I believe is the authority of the scripture, what God has to say as it relates to singleness in this season, this chapter of your life. Are you with me? Are you still singles? Are you still with me? And married folk, I believe that we have a responsibility to once again celebrate, to encourage, and identify how we can best encourage folks during this season of your life. So the first thing I want us to share, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Singleness is a gift from God to portray the gospel of Jesus. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul is actually writing to the church at the city of Corinth, and he's actually writing in response to a bunch of questions that the, that the people there, the, the, the church folk, that the church folk had. And so, so there's a whole list of things that the church had asked Paul to respond to. And so he, he writes this letter, but in chapter 6 and 7, he specifically responded to questions that the church had as it relates to singles and marriages. We've got these two chapters. We begin to kind of peek behind the curtain as to what the Apostle Paul, who is without question the second most influential follower of Jesus to ever, well, second most influential Christian to ever live, because Jesus was number one, and he didn't necessarily follow himself, and so that's why I clarified follower of Jesus. Anyway, I probably didn't need to do that, because you would have understood what I meant, but um, here we go. And so this is what Paul says. This is what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Check this out. I say this as a concession. Paul says, I'm not, I'm not saying this as a command. So Paul is actually speaking from experience here. That's what he's doing. So he's saying, I'm actually saying, let me give you some advice as it relates to the way in which I've noticed some things in my own life. I wish that everybody were single just as I am, yet each person has a special gift from God. Everybody say gift. Kid. We all have a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But, and some, come on, young man, you probably heard this one before. If they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. Like, watch your loins. Like, you heard that one before? Like, it's a, like, but Paul is, hear me here. I'm going to keep this PG. I really am. But, but Paul is, he's talking, he's actually saying here, hey, hey, marriage is more than sex. That's, that's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, the season that you're in, it's, there's a gift. And, and the gift is that you have an opportunity to portray the gospel of Jesus in a unique way. Now, maybe you've heard something like this before, and you think, you know what, Jordan, it's a gift that I don't want. You ever received a gift before, and you're like, what do I do with this? You know, like currently, it's in a big Rubbermaid container in your basement somewhere. You know what I'm talking about? You bring it out every once in a while, and that individual comes over to your home who gave you that gift, and you're like, I really don't want this gift. It's a gift that you don't, you don't want. Maybe that's how you feel about but what Paul is saying, that singleness is. It is. Okay, I get it. It's a gift, but I've gotten gifts before that I don't really want anything to do with. Well, well, well Paul is saying, though, hey, listen, no, no. See, we're used to talking about marriage as it relates to being a portrayal of the gospel. We, we identify very well through the years. I think, I think it's a good thing that, that we, we recognize how a husband and wife come together and, and through the intimacy of their relationships, it's a representation of the intimacy that we can have with Jesus Christ as our Lord, as our Savior, as the bride of Christ in our, in our life. But I think the consequence of almost over-idolizing that idea is that it leads singles to think that if I'm to portray the gospel, if I'm to look more like Jesus, if I'm to fulfill the call of God on my life, then I've got to get married. And the world would even tell you that you need a husband or a wife to complete you. But that's not true. Mathematics in the kingdom of God doesn't add up the way that it does on earth. Two halves coming together don't make a whole in marriage. No, it's two wholes coming together. Finding your individual completion in Christ coming together, that's what makes a healthy, come on, that's what makes a healthy, a healthy marriage. And biblical singleness, catch this, it reminds us that, that you're not complete through another human being. You're complete only through Christ. You, you are complete regardless of your marital status. That in Christ you've been reconciled with God. And you can only find your completion and satisfaction in him. Singleness says to the world, here it is, it says, Christ is my pleasure and in him I've got everything that I need. 
Come on, Mary folk. Are you with me for just a moment? Let me just speak. You've seen this. You possibly even experienced this in your own, in your own home, in your own relationship. That you, you thought that, or maybe you've seen this play out in somebody else's life, that that individual was going to complete and fulfill, and they don't. And whenever we expect somebody else to give to us what only Jesus can give to us, we set them up for failure and ourselves up for great disappointment. You are only complete and fully satisfied when you, are, when you understand that you're complete in Jesus. And so here, here's the idea. Here's kind of the overarching theme of what I'm trying to say with this first point is that marriage is not the goal. That's not the goal. And I think we've done a detriment today within the church to automatically make the assumption that eventually you're going to get married. And, there, and there's good intention in that, and I understand that. I think there's satisfaction and fulfillment in that. I really, I believe all of those things. But hear me, hear me. Marriage isn't the goal. Jesus is the goal. And so as we become so obsessed with what's next, we've almost excluded Jesus from that proverbial equation of our life. And so we automatically create within other people the assumption that, well, if I don't get to what you expected me to get to, then I'm not fulfilled, then I'm a failure, then I'm not lovable, that I'm incomplete. And it's just, it's not, it's not true. The second thing is that singleness is a calling from God. Hear me, hear me. Marriage is a calling from God. Singleness is a calling from God too. Being single is not an identity to be ashamed of though. No, it's, it's a calling to embrace. Like it's, it's a, it can be a beautiful chapter and season of your life, as marriage can too, which we'll get to next week. But in verse 17, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians, he says, each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. You see what Paul is saying? He's, he's saying, look, there's a call. There's a call of God on every single one of your life in the room, online, like God is calling you to something even bigger than you. And we identify and walk in that calling not when we find completion in somebody else, but when we find our completion in Christ, when we find our identity and our understanding of who we are because of what Jesus says about us, not what somebody else says about us, not what somebody spoke over us at a young age. And so Paul is saying, hey, listen, there's a calling to this chapter, to this single chapter of your, of your life. And don't squander it. Don't squander your season of, of singleness. Paul is not advocating that you extend your adolescence into your 20s and 30s and waste your life on part-time jobs and video games. He's saying, no, 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 recognize that there's a divine purpose to your singleness. Don't live in your mom's basement until you're 35 years old. That's what Paul's saying, you know? He, he's saying, no, there's, a, there's, a, there's divinity in this season of your, of your life. Renna Taylor, a really well-known missionary to Kenya, she, she says, quote, being single has meant that I'm free to take risks that I might not take were I a mother of a family dependent on me. And I think this is the part that we often don't talk about as married folk, and I think it's worth talking about because what we need is a full expression of the body of Christ and to better understand like how we can actually be better together we have to celebrate every season that everybody is in and every gift that people carry in that season of their life and what I mean by that more practically in the context of what we're talking about today is one of the things that often gets dismissed when we talk about marriage or we talk about singleness is here let me just say it from my own personal experience is that I am so grateful for the season I'm in I've got two kids married for 15 years it's I, I love the 
season I'm in. But I'll never forget that when I was about 21, almost 22 years old, I just graduated, and I had said to my, said to my dad, Dad, I think I, I want to spend some time overseas. I want to work for like a missions organization for a few, a few years. I started getting some more research done, and I realized this was going to be kind of expensive. And I, I thought, you know what? I think I'm just going to do this after I get married. And my dad said, son, if you wait, you'll never do it. And I said, no, I'll still do it. And he convinced me. And so I left, and for about four months, I, I spent some time in a small little village of Ryakutta, India. It was one of, the, one of the most beautiful and life-giving seasons of my life. It was terrifying and, and bizarre and lonely at times, but like I, I learned so much during that time. Well, what's interesting, though, is that I reflect back on that. Had I waited until I'd been married, I never would have gone. I'm sure it cost several thousand dollars. I would have been like, well, now it's not my money anymore. Well, now it's like, I'm going to leave my wife for four months? I don't think she'd have been okay with that. Like, it just, and so, so look, there, there's difficult things in every season of our life, but there are, there's strength to be seized in every season of our, of our life as well. So the point is this, that singleness has been a noble and courageous path ever since Jesus and the apostle Paul chose it. It's no sign of weakness to want to be married. No, 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 that's, that's normal and it's good. But, but here, here it is. The courage comes, ooh, I love this point right here. The courage comes when you sense, God call, when you sense God's calling in that season of singleness for this chapter of your life and you accept the call with zeal and creative planning for how you can use this season for his glory. And that takes courage. And I know it takes courage. Because some of my closest friends are single and they're older. And they're, and, they're, and they're around my age. And I know that that takes significant courage to say, okay, I'm going to embrace this season. And I'm not, just, I'm not just going to despise this season. I'm going to lean into it and, and, and creatively ask God, God, how can, I, how can you better use me in this season for, for, for your glory? And this is where I think we really need to learn to encourage one another in every season of our life, whatever hat you may be wearing in your current season. Like, like I think singles, you even need to feel, you even need to feel the authority to speak into the marriages of our church. Like, you don't need someone else's experience in order to speak into their life scriptural and biblical values. Like, I think sometimes it would be okay. Hear me, singles, hear me. I think sometimes it would be okay if you see another marriage despising one another and you just reminded them. You know, I go home every night and I eat dinner by myself. You know what I would give to wake up at 2 a.m. to take care of that little baby? You know how much I would love it if I could experience just one week of what you experience every day? And likewise, marriages, we need to feel like we can have some courage to encourage singles as well. Hey, hey. I know this season is lonely, and I can't, re- I can't relate with everything that you're experiencing, but I'm telling you that God's call on your life is not less than because you're single. That God's gift in your life is not incompetent because you're single. 
That there's a gift and a calling on your life, even in this season. There's a really great organization called GLOO, G-L-O-O, and they partnered with another organization called Barna, and they identified three cities in America that they were going to do some really deep dive research on as it relates to the way in which people were, were just kind of processing through emotional health during the pandemic. And, and in fact, they, they chose Columbus to be one of those cities. And a few months ago, I went to this, I went to this, this event that they were holding here and a bunch of pastors from all across the city are gathering together and they're just talking through some of the research and things that they identified. One of the things that really stood out to me is that during the pandemic, the people who, the individuals who experienced the hardest time mentally and emotionally were single adults because they were really alone. And I know, I know sometimes for me, I was like, can I actually just be alone? Like stuck at home, you know? Then I talked to some of my single friends and I realized like they're going through it a whole lot worse than I am. And so there's, there's things and ways in which we can encourage and help identify how we can better encourage no matter what season of life people are in. So here's how Paul kind of, kind of explains this as we close out this second point. He says, I want you to be free from any of the concerns of this life. That's why Paul is giving this encouragement right here. Yeah, I, I want you to be free from worrying about all of the stuff that tends to kind of hold us back from really pursuing Jesus. Because an unmarried man, check this out, look what he said, can spend time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife and enjoy romantic comedies. <laughs> if Paul was talking today, you know that's what he'd say to us men, right? I'm still trying to figure that one out. He says his interests, they're, they're divided. They're, they're just, it's, they're, not, they're not singularly focused. He goes on, he says, in the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit, but a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibility and how to please her husband and watch war movies and fighting scenes. And you know what I'm saying? Like, like okay, kind of, but you get what I'm saying? Like, this is what Paul is, he's saying, hey, look, it's, it's easy then to be, our, our attention gets divided. And I don't despise the season that I'm in at all. I love the season that I'm in. But full transparency and honesty, yeah, like, like I have less time now than I had when I was single. And I don't say this in a trite or condescending way, but sometimes when I hear single folks and they, and they say, man, I, I just feel like I don't have any time. You'll have less time when you're married. And then statistically, they'll say that cut that time in half when you have your first kid, cut that time in half again when you have your second kid. And then supposedly, I haven't experienced this, but the time you have your third kid, you stop caring anymore, you let them eat dirt. <laughs> no, I share that because it's like, hey, hey, as I look across even the landscape of our church, one of the things that I am so unbelievably proud of, even just this morning we're setting up People get here at 6 a.m. It's 14 degrees outside. The real feel was eight. All of our hands were basically like frostbite. And I literally looked across the room and I saw the number of single people who were serving. And I just thought, man, Lord, they are leaning into the call of God on their life in that season. And yet, on the flip side of that same coin, then married folk can say, well, singles should just serve more. No. There's not a greater, there is no greater responsibility for them to serve more. It's just that there's an understanding that, hey, you, you, you got, you have a, there's a different complexity to your life, no doubt. And it's not easy, no doubt. But, but like, hey, the Lord is saying in that season, recognize how that you can keep your interests fully focused on who Jesus really is. 
In fact, one of my, one of my good friends, I often refer to as a, as a little sister in my, in my life, Andrea Plummer. Many of you know her, and she shared just a few months ago, specifically on this topic, for about seven minutes, she talked about, she talked about how the singleness in that season, that chapter of her life can be really difficult. And she, she made this, she said this phrase, I thought it was so good, and, and I haven't forgotten it. She, she said, my life is a little bit less complex than some of my married friends' life. It's not easier, it's just a little bit less complex. And I thought that takes extreme maturity to identify and extreme humility to, to embrace. But there is an equal calling on your life. And what Paul is saying here is, I, I want, hey, I want to encourage you to use it for the Lord's glory. And it leads me to the third point. Singleness is satisfying. Not that it, it can be satisfying. I just want to declare that over you today, over you this morning, online, in the room. But singleness, it is satisfying. Like Paul, and this is, this is kind of Paul's concluding statement here to his letter at Corinth as it relates to this topic of singleness. He says, listen, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. Paul's saying, I'm not, I'm not, trying, to, I'm not trying to create a burden in your life. I'm, I'm trying to say this for your, for your benefit. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. What if all of us, regardless of our marital status, made decisions through that lens. Like, I want to make a decision right now that's going to serve the Lord the best and set up as few distractions as possible so that I can fulfill the call of God on my life. Not just do what I want to do, but do what Jesus desires for me to do. That's where real satisfaction and ultimate fulfillment comes from. Because marriage doesn't solve, your, it doesn't solve your problems. Most of the time, it only exposes them. And that's why when two halves try to come together and make a whole, and again, we'll talk more about this next week, but it only leads to more problems. It only leads to more insecurity. It only exaggerates that which we've already been struggling with previously. And a lot of people experience a lot of pain in marriage when, when they expect somebody, a prince or a princess, to give what only Jesus can give. And so Jesus, he's, he's, hear me, hear me, hear me. He's worth your singleness. He's worth this chapter of your, of your life. He's worth pursuing with everything that you've, with everything that you've got. Jesus actually tells this story about himself. It's this parable in Matthew 13. He's, he says the kingdom of heaven is kind of like a treasure that a man discovered in a field, and he, in, in all of his excitement, he hid it again so that nobody else could find it, and he, he sold everything he owned to get enough money to go buy the field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on, a, on the lookout for choice pearls. And when he, discovered the, when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned in order to go after it. You know what Jesus is saying here? He said, hey, hey guys, I... Uh, I'm going to bring some attention to myself, y'all. I'm worth everything in your life. There is nothing else outside of me that can bring to you what your soul really craves. Nothing that can fully satisfy or fulfill you. We are under the conviction here at Ethos Church that if we can just, that, that's why our whole mission is to love people in Jesus' name, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did, because we believe that if people would just see Jesus just a little bit more clearly, everything else just pales in comparison. It's not about a set of religious do's and don'ts. It's about elevating, exalting, and glorifying Jesus for who he really is. And when we set him up, we, we don't experience anything other than, what? Of course I'll give up all of that for you. 
In fact, I believe that the only reason why somebody wouldn't completely sell out to Jesus is because they haven't seen him for who he really is. He's that great. He's that good. And even the things that he asks us to do that often feel like restrictions or hindrances in our life are actually a setup to experience the best part of life. That's who Jesus, that's who he is. And as I talk to a lot of, specifically as I talk to a lot of married men, I've recognized that married men aren't envying their single friends because their life is so much better or so much easier, but because, because they're not satisfied with Jesus. And single men aren't envying married friends because marriage makes life easier, but because they're not satisfied with Jesus. So here's, here's kind of the point here, is that Jesus is better than both marriage and singleness. Jesus is just, I have no catchy way to say it, he's just better. He's just, he's just better. Whatever season you find yourself in, the ultimate reward and prize of that season is not somebody, but rather Jesus. Are, are you with me, Ethos? You, you hear what I'm saying? You kind of hear the, the heart of what we're trying to, trying to say here? Like, it's Jesus is worth this season. He's worth just selling out to him. I mentioned Andrea a moment ago, but as I see her in this season, this chapter of singleness, I've known Andrea. Let me just, let me just kind of brag on her for a moment. Like, I'm so proud of her. I love her. I'm so proud of the way in which she embraces this chapter and this season of her life. And she desires to get married. She doesn't mind if I share any of this. But, but, but I've known her now for over a decade. And, and she moved here to be a part of Ethos and serve. And, and, she, and she is, she's not just a part of it. Like she's an integral part of what happens here on a regular basis. She is fully embracing the call of God. Now, one of the things I love about her so much is she's vulnerable. She's honest. She's, she's real. She's transparent. So she talks about the struggle of this season. She talks about it freely. But then she always surrounds it with, yeah, but I'm, I'm going to embrace it. I recognize there's a call and there's a gift on this season in this chapter of my life. And I'm, and I'm so encouraged by the way that she leans into it. Because here's, point, here's kind of the second thing, that a godly spouse is, is worth your singleness. Listen to me, single folks. Waiting is worth it. Here's the best advice that I can give you. Choose conviction over convenience. In other words, my best advice is apply God's word in every area of your life. Apply God's word in your relationships. Apply God's word in your finances. Apply God's word in your time. Apply God's word in the way in which you interact and serve others. Apply God's word in every area of your life. Why? Because when you do, it's more than just, well, because that's what Christians should do. No, that's not what I'm saying. Because when you do, you become a part of the minority. Specifically speaking to Christians for just a moment. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're single, when you apply God's word in every area of your life, you become a part of the minority. And that's not easy, but it's worth it because you begin to stand out. And you want to stand out. As a single person, you, you want to stand out because every single, single person I talk to identifies like you want a unique love. You want a unique relationship. You want to, you want to meet a unique, a unique person. But when you follow the crowd, when you follow the majority, and you do as the world does, and you dress as the world dresses, and you say as the world says, and you speak as the world speaks, and you serve as the world serves, and you gossip as the world gossips, you, you lose your own uniqueness, and consequently, the person that you're looking for isn't looking for you. And so stand out. Have the courage 
to stand out. The majority is overrated to begin with. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but the majority, the crowd that most of us are following, they don't have the life that we desire anyway. The results of their life aren't what we want anyway. And so all we're actually attracted to is the image on social media, but if we dig behind the curtain, dig beneath the surface, we don't really want the rest of what they've got. Uh, do, do you hear me? Like, listen, the, the person that you're looking for is looking for you to stand out in a unique way. Like, don't, don't settle for just a nice Christian girl or Christian boy. Like, this is where I think the church hasn't done a great job. Because I think what we've done, and, and we haven't done this intentionally, but we've actually encouraged in some ways these, subtle, these subtleties, like, hey, you should, you should probably lower your standard a bit so that, you can, so that you can actually get married. And as a result, we've made marriage the goal. I, I just want to say today, and to all the married folk in the room, and especially to all the parents in the room who have young children, like, no, 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 no don't lower your standard. Singleness is worth, it's worth waiting. Like, like you, want, you want a unique love? You may have to wait for it. And you do want a unique love. Like, trust me. Trust, you, that's what you want. And so, so my encouragement to us as married folk would be, hey, no, no, don't, don't encourage anybody to lower their standard. Encourage them in that season to raise their center to Jesus, to lean in fully to the call and the gift of God that, is, that they have in that season. And, and I, I envision your life in one sense to be sort of like a highway. And as you're driving down the proverbial highway of life, and you just, you're pursuing Jesus, that's, that's, that's where you're headed, that's where you're going. And there's this on-ramp. And, and the on-ramp, like somebody else kind of gets onto your highway, and they're pursuing Jesus too. And next thing you know, you look over, and you're like, oh, okay, okay. Where are you going? Jesus. You know, you're like, well, that's, that's where I'm going too. You know? Do you want to hold hands on our way there? Yeah, I do. You know? Like, it's a, well, you may have had to pass a few exits and a few on-ramps to get there, but it's worth it. It's, it really, like it's, it's just a godly spouse. It's worth your singleness. So don't, don't settle. Like you want somebody who loves Jesus with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like women don't give away for free. Make the man earn it. Make him, make him, make him work for it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like we got too many. No, I'll tell you what. Like if a guy doesn't pursue my daughter, I'm like... You got no chance, son. Like, no, no chance. My hands are bigger than yours. My fist is bigger than your face. You got no chance. You know? Can you say that, Pastor? Probably not, but I did. Like, turn the other cheek now, too. I'll get you on the other side. No, like, no, I'm just saying, like, man, when Courtney and I were dating, like, I, I, I pursued, I worked for it. You know? Like, I, I drove six hours every other weekend. We were, we, we lived six hours apart. But I was like, girl, you are worth it. I'm like, I, I want you to, like, you're worth, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue, I'm going to pursue you. The person that you're looking for, they're, they're already plugged in and serving in the local church. No, no missionary dating. Like, no, don't settle, don't settle. 
I'm telling you, it's worth it. It's worth it. We're going to dive into it a little bit more next week. It's worth it. Like, the person you're looking for will understand Paul's mandate that everybody in the body must contribute their spiritual gift to serve the rest of the body in some capacity. The person that you're looking for will be more concerned with growing in character than being found popular and alluring. They're going to help you become more like Christ. They're not just going to dismiss some of the ways and areas of your life. They're like, oh, that's just, that's just my personality. That's just how I am. No, no, no. They're going to help you grow in your character and grow in your Christ-likeness. Listen, the, the guy that you want, the guy that you want, he, he actually doesn't want more selfies on your page. <laughs> that's, that's, not what he, that's not what he wants. The, the guy that you really want wants, wants you to grow in character in stature, in honor. Do you, you, you hear me? And it's worth it. Come on, I'm telling you, it is, it is worth it. It's worth it. You, you attract who you are, not what you want. So you become and you begin to attract. And I'm, it's just, it's worth it. It's worth it. I could say more, but, but lastly, right here, holiness is worth your, holiness is worth your singleness. And this is one that, it, that it's not popular to talk about in church today. And honestly, it kind of breaks my heart that it isn't. It's, it's, it's really kind of sad, the state and the place and the, where we're at, where, where we, don't, we don't really talk about holiness anymore. We're kind of afraid to even mention the word sin any longer. But, but hear me, hear me. The world is in desperate need of single followers of Jesus who will counter the cultural lie that sexual expression is okay outside of marriage. Like, we, we need it. Like, we need the church to, to HDMI one hyphen arc. Like, that's what we, we need that. You, you see me? Like, plug in to the, to the system of Jesus. And <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I can't go anywhere else on that one. But <laughs> my, my encouragement is simply this. Like, like, don't reason with sexual immorality. Like, thinking that, that God has designed you to engage at least in a little bit of sexual activity outside of marriage. No, don't reason with that. Again, I know this isn't popular to talk about in the church today. I, I understand that. I really do. And I, and I even know that sometimes when, when I bring something like this up, there's some resistance to it. There's some, ah, oh, Jordan, you know, just kind of talk about something different. Like, I, I get it, but I'm telling you, this is near and dear to the heart of God. Remember, as a, as a youth pastor years ago, I, I was speaking at this, this summer camp, and, and this freshman in high school came up to me afterwards and said, hey, man, I hear what you're saying and all, but, um, but like, I just feel like I need to like, practice before I get married. And I was like, you feel like you need to practice? And I said, I said listen to me, young man. I said, man, I hear what you're saying. I do. I'm just telling you, though, that you're going to know what to do when the time comes. Like, you don't need practice. But even more important than that, the person that you'll marry someday, they are not right now wishing and hoping that you've had a lot of practice. On your marriage day, when you are sharing your vows, they're not going to be standing there beside you thinking, man, I hope he knows what he's doing tonight. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm keeping this PG, I am, but... And I think this is one of the great lies of the enemy today. This is one of the ways that he has, he's won a little bit in this area. That he has convinced us that sex is a taboo topic and shouldn't be spoken about in church. One of the greatest things my dad gave to me was the gift of being in fifth grade and having that first conversation with me. 
We had the conversation every year from fifth grade to sixth grade. I'm telling you what, he was so awkward with the conversation. He didn't know what he was doing. And I look back on that and my dad shares with me today. He's like, yes, and I had no idea what I was talking about. He's like, I didn't know what to share with you. I just knew that I wanted to get ahead of it and not behind it. And it's just, I just want to encourage us like you, like it's, this is near and dear to God's heart. Like Paul says it like this. He, he writes to 1 Corinthians as he begins to kind of close out. He says, don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? No, never. Don't, don't you know that he who unites himself with the prostitute is one, one with her in body? For it said, the two will become one flesh. Now catch this. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Now what Paul is not saying is that you become one in spirit with your spouse. No, no. He's, he's saying you're only one in spirit with the Lord, but you become one in flesh with them. And there's, I don't have time to get into the way in which that's different, but even that, we, we've, we've, not, we've not taught that real well. You don't become one. That's why somebody can't complete you, because you don't become one with, you don't become one with them. You're still two. You're still two people. But you, he's, he's, talking about, he's talking about physical intimacy here. You become one in flesh. Now, here's what's so beautiful and so brilliant about God. Woo, I love this. That the scriptures and science come together, and they reveal to us that there is a oneness of flesh that takes place through, through physical intimacy and physical connection. There's a, you, some of you are familiar with this. There's, there's, a, there's a hormone, there's a chemical that's released in your body called oxytocin. You heard of oxytocin? Right? And, and a lot of scientists actually will call this the oneness drug or the, or the glue hormone of our bodies. That what it does is it creates within us this feeling of being one flesh with somebody else. In fact, women produce about twice as much oxytocin as men do, but nevertheless, we, we both, both genders experience this, this rush of, of, of oxytocin in our body when we come in relationship physically with one another. You, you catching where I'm at with this? And so, and so what happens then is you begin to sense this bond with one another. And that bond is what, is what God says, it's the oneness bond that I want you to experience. It's actually intended to keep marriages strong and united. But what happens is, is that when we have that chemical release in our body before it's time, the right thing in the wrong time is just the wrong thing. It's the right thing, it's just the wrong time. And so God's not trying to keep us from something good. He's trying to keep us for something great. In the right time, it's great. In the number one thing, without question, that Courtney and I experience as we talk to married folks who go through difficult seasons, the number one thing, not the only thing, just kind of high on the list is that we begin to kind of dig down into the emotional health of their past. We begin to look at some of the relationships they had before they were married and how many times they became one with several other people or maybe one other person and, and, they, and they, they don't feel that intimacy that God designed and created for us to feel with our spouse and with only our spouse. And so holiness is worth this season of singleness because it brings about a reward in your season of marriage. Whenever that season may come, whenever that chapter may turn. Like it's, it's worth it. Like sex used to be holy, church, and now it's just become a hobby. And it's just, it's not the heart of our Father. Like it's not. And it breaks my heart in some ways because I think I've failed in this area because there's a cultural pressure to not talk about this. Sexual ethics is kind of off, off the table. Talk about everything else, just not that. 
But this is near and dear to the heart of our Father. And so don't confuse temporary fun with true freedom. Don't confuse it. Don't confuse it. And if he pressures you to do it, because it's the way that you can show him that you love him, tell me and a few other big guys, Alec is six foot seven, me and him will come. We'll come. And so I'll close right here with this. Romans chapter 12, Paul, the apostle, he's still writing. He says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world. No, no. Let God transform you. I've got to do it different. Let him transform you to a new person by changing the way that we think about some of these things. We've got we to change the way we think. Then you're going to learn to know God's will. You're, you're, you'll begin to understand it. His will, which is good, and it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Like, it just... It's just, it's, just, it's just an awesome will for your life. We've got to lean into you. And no doubt, you can hear something like this, and, and for many of you right now, you, you probably feel some shame. Man, I didn't, I didn't do it the way that the truth of God's word said to do it, Jordan. I, and I, but here's, whew, nothing else in my life has revealed the heart of the Father, our Father to us, like being a father myself. I tell my kids all the time, Sophia, Judah, hey, you know no matter what you do, no matter what you don't do, no matter where you go or where you don't go, you know that daddy's arms are always going to be open wide to you? You, you, you may be feeling shame right now, but you run into my arms. I'm going to embrace you. I'm going to hug you. And I'm telling you, I'll remove that shame from you. I'm, I'm going to help you feel loved and affirmed once again. Repentance in the church today, it's kind of become like a bad negative term. You need to repent. You know, you go down to Ohio State Buckeye game, you see the guy on the corner of the street, repent! The kingdom of God is near. You're like, the kingdom of God has come, bro. You're, you're 2,000 years late. Like, that's, no, repentance is actually one of the most beautiful New Testament words. Because it literally means to turn back to Jesus. What's better than turning back to our Savior? who gave his entire life for you and for me. There's nothing better than that. So repentance isn't something to be ashamed of. It's not something to run from. It's not something to hide and seek your under the rug. Yeah, I repented, I repented. No, it's something like, yo, yeah, I need more of Jesus. So yeah, I'm going to repent. In fact, the only way to really experience the grace of God, God's ability to do for you what you can't do for yourself, is to accept God's truth. You don't receive God's grace unless we come in line with God's truth. Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying in your word, God, and so I kind of want to come in line with that. And when you do, he says, oh, I've got all the grace in the world for you. Where sin abounds, my grace abounds that much more. And there is redemption and reconciliation and beauty in your future for those who repent, who simply say, Jesus, I want to come back to you. And you can have beauty and health in your future relationships, in your present relationships, even if there was pain and sin in your past. Do you hear me? That's the heart of our Father. He's so good. He's so good. He far exceeds what I can do for my kids. And when I think about that, it makes it easy for me to say, I'm sorry. I messed up. I messed up. And I want to come back to you. I want to do it your way because I know that your way is just better. It may not feel better now, but it's always going to be better. It's always, it's always going to be better. Will you bow your heads for just a moment as we conclude and just give space for the Holy Spirit to speak to us? In fact, if you're in here this morning and maybe you feel a sense of shame,
Maybe you feel like, man, I just, I, I haven't done it God's way. I, I just need forgiveness right now. I just invite you. In fact, this is, this is for more of you than it's not. I just want to invite you right now just to say, Jesus, I, I repent. I want to come I want to come back into alignment with you. I receive your truth so that I can receive your grace. You just say that even just under your breath, in your head. I repent right now. I'm telling you, you no longer have to walk around with the the shame that comes as a result of the decisions that you've made or haven't made. And there is beauty in your future. He loves you.